right. It is time for the one, the only movie night extravaganza. I'm mixing my protonic intro for this. I've got a totally different intro for that show. Uh, hello, I'm Kona Neutron. This is a hostile takeover by Andy and I. Of, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, one might even say some kind of coup. Yeah, exactly. Coup, what, coup. What, one might say such a thing. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about the incredible uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, I suppose he normally plays the trailer immediately afterwards, huh? Screw it. We're going to do it this way. Uh, Christina. We'll do it live. <laughs> we'll do it live. Yeah. Uh, Christina Oaks. Hello. Friend, friend of the show. Um, featured guest. I'm off my meds. Just kidding. And <laughs> so off her meds. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the show. It's always lovely to have you. Uh, very excited to have you on for this. Um, I th we're going to be joined by Marina Dove uh, a little bit later on, who is currently streaming somewhere else, as is our host, Forrest, uh, the, the host of this show, Moving Extravaganza. Uh, J. Andrew World. Hello. How are Howdy. You? I'm good. I'm good. I've been drawing all day. Um, good. That's a good thing. That is that. That's 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 all you got to say. That's yeah, really. I agree. It's a good thing. Yeah. No. It's it's very healthy for my mental yeah. health. And summation, drawing good. Yeah. Murder yes. bad. Exactly. <laughs> I'm drawing. Uh, I'm not killing people. I, I of course am the other co-host slash interim co-host. I guess the, the line of succession. It goes like vice president, speaker of the house, senate pro tempore, et cetera, et cetera. I'd be the senate pro tempore on that. Uh, Kona Neutron, uh, Protonic Reversal, Kona Neutron, The Secret Friends, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, again, this is the best movie show on the internet. Hands down. Thank you for watching it. Uh, let's take a look at the uh, this incredible movie. By the way, I, I absolutely love One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest. It's uh, oh, absolutely. It's it's what, it's, it's one of my favorites for a reason. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. So let's take a look at the trailer. And uh, I, I've actually this this is um, I've not seen this trailer, so this is going to be uh, new for me, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I think that this is a good thing. You gotta get a fresh take. And uh, yeah, let's see the trailer for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Not a cold open in any way, shape, or form for us. Sorry about that. Slash not sorry. All right. Will it play eventually? We'll see. Here it is. Why do you think they might think that? Don't make a bit of sense to me. Do you think there's anything wrong with your mind, really? Not a thing, Doc. Uh, excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? Your hand is staining my window. God almighty, she's got you guys coming or going. A little change never hurt, huh? Variety. Ah, oh, oh, come on! You're not gonna say that now. You're not gonna say that now. You're gonna pull that henhouse shit now. When the vote that Chief just voted, it was ten to nine. I want that television set turned on right now. I don't think he's overly psychotic. No, I want something. Too. I think he's dangerous. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, you guys do nothing but complain about how you can't stand it in this place here, and then you haven't got the guts just to walk out? I mean, what do you think you are, for Christ's sake, crazy or something? Well, you're not. 
wait a minute. Ah, hold it. See how easy it is. Oh, oh, oh. We're from the uh, State Mental Institution. Uh, this is Dr. Cheswick, Dr. Tabor, Dr. Scanlon. I'm Dr. McMurphy. Hey, Mikey! What? All right, take him over! Get out over here! Get up, Tate! <laughs> How about it, you creep, you lunatic, mental defective? <laughs> Thank you. I'll never forget you. There we go. That's the preview. That's the preview for this incredible film, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, welcome, Marina Dove, to the show. Thank you Hi. for joining us. Yeah, thank you. I feel like I just saw you, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two back to back, double feature. Exactly. That's the thing. You don't you don't come on for a while, and then uh, you got to do a double feature. That's how we work around here. I love it. Yeah, happy to be here. How do we feel about that? Uh, about that preview? Like, do we think that's a that it, it kind of doesn't show enough and also shows too much, which is quite the mean yeah. feat. Um, you, you get a sense of the type of character Jack Nicholson is playing, very uh, rambunctious, rebellious, anti-establishment in the way, and he doesn't feel like he actually belongs there. Right. Yeah, and that's, right. uh, you know, I, I think that that's notable. This is an outsider movie, right? Um, I think that that's something that, one of the reasons kind of why it connected with people, just like how the book did is because it is like a bit of a, you know, Freaks, Nerds, and Weirders outsider movie, for sure. Uh, I guess I'll just be the one to rip into it. It kind of sucks. The reason why he's there is statutory rape. Yeah. yeah. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> he's a real bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> not, not great. They left people. that part out of the trailer. Yeah, they, they left that. <laughs> they didn't lead with that in the, tra in the trailer, for sure. Um, Marina, do you feel like that's a, what, what do you feel about that trailer? Think it's a good trailer? Is that good? Do you like it? Um, no. yeah, I, I came in for like the last little bit of it. Cause I was trying to finagle everything, but yeah, I think it's a, I, I thought it was a good trailer. Yeah. This is a hard movie to make a trailer for. And not the least of which is, you know, spoiler alert for a movie that is, uh, you know, like whatever, like older than I am, I think, uh, you know, it's got kind of a twist at the end, right? Like, yeah. and you don't want to reveal that, but uh, how do you adequately sort of? It's not like a exactly a feel good movie necessarily. No, not at all. Uh, but I, but it, but it's a great movie, uh, Andy. How do you feel about all that? You know, I, I really enjoy it. I, I always want to try to put it in the cultural like milieu of the seventies, um, as people are like, because uh, the the one thing I was thinking about, like why Jack Nicholson works so well in this movie and it's his anger. Like, like that, that's the one word you can always mm. use to describe Jack Nicholson and whatever movie he's in from the Joker to anger management um, is, is anger. And um, this movie, <laughs> yeah, well, it better be an anger management. Or I know, right. Truth in advertising, you know, <laughs> um, but, but this is the one movie which like focuses it like, like to, to, to like such a degree where like there is a reason why uh, Jack Nicholson 
has this air of being a great actor because let's face it, most movies he doesn't, he just kind of phones it in. And uh, there, there's, there's a few movies out there, you know, uh, this Chinatown, um, you know, some of his earlier stuff. Uh, he certainly did not phone it in uh, the shining, you know, another, another great one, but, but for the most part, he just kind of phoned it in and would just like, uh, okay, here's the scene where I'm actually going to act and crank it up. And, and that's all you get out of him. Right. Um, so, so it's kind of nice to actually see him in one of these just good roles, but um, like you couldn't put uh, like say Robin Williams in this part because he's not angry enough to, to pull off this character. Yeah. He, um, he has that resting no. state of, of dude's anger that uh, you know, like whatever. At a certain Maybe Pacino, life, but, but you know, yeah, yeah, early Pacino for sure. But I think that, yeah. So that's interesting. It's funny. Also funny that you invoked all these movies that, you know, where, he wasn't necessarily a great actor. And then you only mentioned movies where he's a great actor and his acting performance is fantastic. I love that. But uh, I, I take the point and we can all think of the, uh, of the sorts of movies, especially like those late period cash-ins and stuff like that, where it's like, all right. And of course, welcome to the show, the host of the show, <laughs> Forrest Miller. What's going on? Hey man, I know it's a, you're a busy guy. How, how did the, uh, how did the other thing go? Was that good? It went, it went well. I don't know. I, my, I'm uh brain dead from watching too many Cronenberg movies yesterday though um can we watch can we watch the the trailer to uh to one flew over the cuckoo's nest again so I can get into the state of mind where uh, well, wait the Cronenberg movie should have put you in the state of mind to be in a mental institution yeah. <laughs> uh okay so you want to you want to watch it again huh all right that's a bold aesthetic choice um <laughs> what I I feel like I need to you know uh, bookend, bookend podcast. You know what? I'll second that because I was like in the middle of like raiding in and figuring out all my shit, so I didn't actually get to see it okay. all the way. Well, so right, let's just let's, let's let's watch let's watch it again. Apparently, it's a Bolshevik democracy over here, so let's do it. <laughs> it is. I thought it was. I thought it was a coup. Turns out it was a Bolshevik democracy. Who knew? Wait. <laughs> it's uh, it's the it's the Cultural Revolution. It's literally both those things at the same time. Exactly. Talk all about it. But that's uh, Princess Band, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Ah, yeah. Print the cultural revolution. Why do you think they might think that? Don't make a bit of sense to me. Do you think there's anything wrong with your mind, really? Not a thing, Doc. Uh, excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? Your hand is staining my window. God almighty, she's got you guys coming and going. Little change never hurt, huh? Little variety? Oh, Jesus! <laughs> Ah, oh, come on, you're not gonna say that now. You're not gonna say that now. You're gonna pull that handhouse shit now. When the vote that you just voted, it was 10 to 9. I want that television set turned on right now. I don't think he's overly psychotic. No, I want something done. I think he's dangerous. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, you guys do nothing but complain about how you can't stand it in this place here, and then you haven't got the guts just to walk out. What do you think you are, for Christ's sake, crazy or something? Well, you're not. Hey, wait a minute. Ah, oh, yeah. See how easy it is. Oh, oh, oh. 
We're from the uh, State Mental Institution. Uh, this is Dr. Cheswick, Dr. Tabor, Dr. Scanlon. I'm Dr. McMurphy. Hey, <laughs> How about it, you creep, you lunatic, mental defective? <laughs> Thank you, Meg. Thank you. I'll never forget you. That's right, Suckers. <laughs> music, the music really makes the trailer work and the movie work, but that like right? Yeah, not not the movie saw, which would be an entirely different soundtrack. No, no, no. But they the play, it's the movie saw sped up, and and that's how they got the soundtrack for this movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's you know we were debating about whether that is a trailer that shows too much or whether it doesn't show nearly enough. Um, just contextless, it seems like Jack Nicholson's character is just a guy that really likes watching TV, so that's interesting. Uh, you know, uh, but there's you can't you, that whole back twenty minutes. How are you gonna how are you gonna talk about that in a trailer? You know, but it also that. doesn't show like the true nature of of uh, Nurse Ratched at all. Like she's even so a little bit. Not, not even a little bit. Exactly. Oh, they got a nice nurse there. Right on. This is uh, nice quite the ratchet. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so I didn't actually mention what episode this is because I have no freaking idea. Um, but yeah, this episode is episode 72. I guess we're just going to read the first 10 minutes. So that's cool. Episode 72, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, you going to introduce us yeah. now, uh, Forrest? I, I, really, I you guys. The one thing that I was really happy about for this not uh not for not getting here on time, I was like, oh thank God, I'm not gonna be the one that has to do the introductions. But no, I did all the introductions. I did all the introductions. I just I didn't think introduce we're already doing the everything over again, you know. I mean we're literally redoing the show. I don't know why we even bother starting in on time. Um Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Marina did not, of course, get an introduction. We, lo we love Marina. Thank you so much for coming back, Marina. Uh, Thank you for having me. The, the internet's Marina Dove, as she is known. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Resident hot girl. <laughs> Resi yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, she was the only one that didn't get a proper introduction, other than you, because you weren't, you weren't here. And I introduced you as, you know, the host of the show. And I think that's a pretty good introduction. <laughs> it's funny and it's true. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, all right, this isn't weird at all. So, yeah, this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, but we talked a little bit about, you know, it kind of sucks the way Mc, why McMurphy is in there, right? You know, that's sort of a also uh, book versus movie. It centers it centers McMurphy, whereas the uh, the book does not. It's, it's uh, from uh, Chief's perspective, if I remember correctly. It's been a while. So that's also yeah. an interesting story. And Chief is absolutely, to my taste anyway, the, the best character, right? Has to be. Yeah. But but also, if you're if you're writing as Chief, you can't really do the big reveal. Or, you know, you're, you're centering Chief, you can't really do the big reveal where he actually can uh, talk. I think cinematically, that is, that is a much more interesting reveal in this movie 
than um than it would have been if like the whole movie was from his perspective. Um, and Jack Nicholson is a bankable movie star as well, right? So like if, if this point like he was like considered like you know young up and comer. Uh, and for good reason, because he was a killer at it. And again, as, as we were talking about, like it wouldn't be the same with a Robin Williams or an Al Pacino or whoever uh, in that role. Robert De Niro? Yeah, Jack Nicholson is actually crazy. He's the only mentally ill one in the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's what's funny is that like, like the whole cast is like that because like Danny DeVito and yeah. Vincent Schiavelli and um, Brad uh, Christopher Dorf, Lloyd, Brad and, 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 you know. Christopher uh, Lloyd, who once was not an old man. Yes. <laughs> He's been openly elderly since the uh, Reagan administration, I believe. Right, exactly. He was up there with Wolverine. And is apparently joining uh, The Mandalorian Season 3. I don't know. I yep. just got that news oh on my, my on Twitter. Really? Christopher Lloyd is trending, and I was like, oh, no, is he dead? And it was like, he's joining. <laughs> <laughs> He's never going to die. Let's be real here. He's going to outlive us all. It's him and the cockroaches. Him at the end of time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a st it, this is an ensemble cast. Yeah, I forgot Chucky's in this movie. Chucky is absolutely in this movie. This is, uh, I don't believe Brad Dourif got a nomination for this, but he probably should have, I yeah. would say. Absolutely. And it, it, uh, he, so this year, so he won, Jack Nicholson won for Chinatown. And one flew, I won Best Picture. Is that right, Forrest? I know you were kind of. He also won Best Actor. He won Best Actor. Was it for One Flew with Cuckoo's Nest? Or this is yeah. this is what he was doing like three masterpieces a year, right? Yeah, like, that's and, and Louis Fletcher won for Best Actress too. Gotcha. Okay. The the clip that I was playing last night, where they did where they did the like the remote thing, where they introduced him from the actual uh, psychiatric hospital for Chinatown. I think that was the BAFTA awards. I don't think that was the uh, Oscars. Uh, well, the the clip you played last night was definitely that, but uh, the. It did. It did win some stuff, right? Like, why yeah. am I, I? I get to look this up. I guess I'm doing. But also, too, like you know, this was originally a novel, but also was adapted into a play. Yes. And when it, it really came to casting, like play. Yeah, when it came to casting, Danny DeVito played his role on right. on all four on Broadway, and so when they were looking at actors, they knew that he did it so well that they put him in the movie. So. Um, it, it got an uh, Academy Award for uh, Best Actor in a Leading Role, Jack Nicholson, 1976. Academy Award for Best Picture, uh, Michael Douglas and Saul Zantz. That's interesting. John Fogarty's enemy. Uh, Academy Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role, Louise Fletcher. And Golden Globe for Brad Dourif. No, uh, no Academy Award for Brad oh, Also Academy Award for Best Director. Um, uh, and, and, best, and Best Writing as well for Adapted Screenplay. Yeah, so Milos Forman. It is in the Library of Congress. This film. Yeah, it has well, it, significance. Yeah. It's considered one of the best, uh, the best films of all time. Like it really is on, on that list. Um, and know, it's I, very influential, and it's been used like in pop culture since, as in an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Sweetie has a heart attack. <laughs> Anyone's worried, like worried, uh, wondering about uh, Christina's username. That's that's what that is. Yeah. Yes. Um, Brad Dorf, by the way, was nominated. So you know. At least uh, at he least was nominated, but did not win. Yeah, but he did yeah. win the Golden Globe for Best New Star. Oh, then he there's, um, there's a I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen the show The League. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they they remade pretty much One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with uh with Seth Rogen and uh, Jason Mant Mantukas. I, I've never known. 
how to pronounce his last name, but Jason um, Manzukis, and he's on yeah. that uh, How Did This Get Made movie podcast, which is pretty good, not as good as this show, but pretty good. <laughs> what What's funny about the Sweetie Has a Heart Attack episode is that they made, of course, Danny Vito's in is always still in Philadelphia, so they thought, why not do an episode yeah. about our shitty healthcare system? <laughs> yeah, as like a one flew of the cuckoo's nest tribute, and so his character is a lot like his character, like Frank's a lot like his character in the in the film, and they recreated the ending scene because he befriends a guy that's called Chief, a, uh, a Native American. And so they actually, he breaks out of the mental institution and the theme song is played. And I'm like, this is a, I was like, wait a minute. Dan DeVito was in One Who Flew the Cuckoo's Nest. This is the theme song. Um, then I'm like, I rewatched the episode again. I was like, oh. I'm like, this, this, that movie's really like referenced a lot in our pop culture. Yeah, I mean, any movie really that references a mental institution, like definitionally, I think, has to reference One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I think it's one of the most um, kind of humane treatments of a of a mental institution, right? Like yeah. everybody kind of has their humanity intact by the end of it. It's not like people are like off the walls. In fact, throughout the movie, there is a question over and over again, like, what do you guys think you are? Like crazy? Like he's saying, like, these are just my yeah. friends. You know, they get to really, you know. You guys really all belong these in issues. here. Yeah. See, as someone, I've spent time in a mental institution, and the and the Same way people these. the way people portray mental institutions that like everyone is lumped in together, like you're violent and nonviolent patients, when that's not true. Granted, was this was the, also set in '62, which was very different than the healthcare system today. Yeah. yeah. So, so just you know, throw that out there. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, and it's it's the way people still treat like mental asylums today is just ridiculous considering that it's not how it's usually portrayed in, in our media or even like in the past, clearly, because times have changed. Yeah. But it begs the question, like, why are these guys really here? Like, do they even belong being in like a mental institution? Like we all yeah. know Jack Nicholson's character should be in prison. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, by, by modern yeah. standards, certainly. And like, you know, <laughs> debatably at the same time, you know, like was like, was like, okay, mm, that's pretty sus, man. She was 15 <laughs> going on 35, doc. Yeah, a little, a little much. Bummer. <laughs> but I mean, there is, there is like the question, um, and and I'm sure Marina knows about this as someone that you know studied law and uh, and stuff. But like, there is a, the question of like you know pleading insanity and like um, whether that is something that can hold up. Like, who can really, who is able to really um, make that judgment? And uh, you know, is jail kind of worse than a psychiatric facility or? Um, you know, is like because he kind of just tries to get out of his jail sentence by going like, "Oh, I'll go to like the the old feed farm," as they say. Um, right. And, yeah. And it's, it, I mean, I, I don't think it would be a better <laughs> swap. And um, I've also like I've worked in group homes for psychiatric patients, um, and it like while the way that we talk about mental health has definitely changed it my experience just you know five years ago was almost the same um as it's like having these um battles of wills between client and or like patient and provider where the you know the the women that were in charge of of caregiving and doling out medication were like 
literally playing mind games with the clients and it's like you're you're beefing with mentally ill people you have lost the plot um and i think that is really like what makes ratchet such a great villain that without doing any without laying a hand on anyone she's just so sinister and so convinced that what she's doing is the right correct thing to do and she's actually making all of their lives so much worse yeah. um i don't yeah, know makes a great question point. i just am rambling no no that's a great point because again nurse ratch is like thought of as like you know oh god you know she's so horrible i mean if you look at like reviews of this, half of them are just talking about how much they hate Nurse Ratchet. Nurse Ratchet is the worst, et cetera, et cetera. But like, she she's has a ratchet, a she's a thotty. You know what I mean? They're just saying, <laughs> yeah, there's also plenty of thirst posts as well. Well, hold on, I'm not even didn't get through the first part. Sorry, of I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was working better without you for us no <laughs> no that um but but the thing is like she does it with such kind of quiet villainy right and and villainy the fact that she's doing a job and she's doing the best that the best way that she knows how to do it based on the information she has she's a villain of, i think villain of circumstance is what they call that to a certain degree yeah. right yeah. and if you look at like some of the decisions yeah it's a bit harsh sure yeah. but like by the same token like not only can you see it from Ratchet's perspective, but they made that series. I haven't watched it, full disclosure. Um, that's like from her perspective that like she's the best kind of villain. In fact, she's not one dimensional at all. She's a very three dimensional character. Though yeah. no, I know um, like they blame like her villainy or whatever comes from like her experience as a World War II nurse, I believe. Um, but like the show on Netflix kind of gives her like, oh, she she has like this tragic backstory or something like that. And I'm like, not everything has to be like a like some villain has like some like other side to them that makes them this villain or whatever. Like it's it could be as simple as oh, it experienced in World War Two or whatever. In her well, case. we kind of I mean we kind of almost fetishize the backstory now. I mean the way that TV works, like you We're really villain. have to draw that stuff out and. It works well in, I think, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to not have that because you don't really need a backstory. The thing is that there's so much turnover in these mental health facilities, in psychiatric hospitals. People are going in and out. And someone like Nurse Ratchet that really wants to maintain order and control throughout this entire institution obviously isn't going to think of this as like, oh, this is like a, a, a battle of wills in the sense of like, this is something that's going to go on for a long time. This is like maybe a temporary person that's being evaluated right now that uh, is coming in and causing trouble. And she's trying to squash that without being overly uh, dictatorial. I, I mean, you know, I, the ending of it obviously um, really, you know, gets you heated and, and angry to the point where it really is genuine villainy. But like a lot of the things she's doing are, are kind of trying to squash down um, what she sees kind of almost as like these temporary temporal mutinies within, uh, I think, the population. Yeah, she's upholding a system that she just knows. And Jack going to ruin that. And she has her rationale for it, right? Yeah. And even even if we're not privy to it, which by the way, why should we be privy to it? I don't necessarily know if that makes it better. But like she's, I, she looks at Jack Nicholson's character as a disruptive force, which he is a disruptive force. So there's a very good reason for her to feel that way. And what? Are we a pro Nurse Ratchet podcast? We might. Are we <laughs> 
<laughs> We're pro ratchet and we vote. <laughs> I just think that it's like it's pointless to to like argue or not argue, but like to want to make her this dark, seedy villain with yes. this tragic backstory. Like she's a yeah. woman doing a job with power and there's nothing that she can do to actually change how any of these people are going to be treated because she's a nurse yeah. like she's not yeah. in charge of the like the villain are the people like running these institutions not not yeah. her who's just like as you're saying like this is like this is a a dramatic portrayal of something that is very mundane having your mental health taken care of is is should just be a very routine run-of-the-mill thing for people but because we force sick people to exist in these carceral institutions you you are going to have these these kinds of stories to tell which actually perfectly cues up um something that i do want to introduce into the record here um so I, I have this clip of, uh, of, of... Maybe I should have a gavel. It sounds like we're in court. <laughs> no. So, so, this is, so this is something I want to introduce into this podcast. Um, the doctor that played uh, the doctor in this, right? Like, who is kind of, you know, far more than Nurse Ratchet, I think, is kind of a villain. Like, he's just like, listen, we should just pass this guy off. He doesn't really have issues. I don't see him as dangerous. I don't really want to deal with this. Which is kind of more of a um, more villainy, I think, in some cases than Nurse Ratchet, who's like, "Listen, I'm going to kind of intensively deal with this within my unit, not let it kind of be disruptive." But the the guy that plays him is the real director of the Oregon State Hospital, and um, allow them to shoot within the hospital. A lot of the people that you see that aren't the main characters, that aren't like well-known actors, are uh, actually mental patients, and he thought of that as kind of part of their treatment that they could be part of this kind of creative process. And so there's a, a video where he talks about. Um, his decision to let them shoot there. I warmed to the idea. Thought this would be great to have Hollywood come to OSH. I thought I might have a chance to see that the no patient would be denigrated if we'd made the movie. I got ordered uh, by my own boss, the head of the Department of, of Mental Health, you're not to have anything to do with these. And people don't talk, even talk to the producers. And so I kept my word. My wife talked to him. <laughs> is that the basketball court where they shot Cuckoo's Nest? Right there. Right there it is. Look at this. We shot in 75 for uh, 14 weeks. And the tree that Jack went up, I grabbed hold and got over the, the wires, it was right there. I get a call from Milos one day, deep-throated check. He says, Din, we want you to, we want you to lead for us. Well, I sat down and I said, Jack, my God, I don't know what to do. Jack said, well, Diener, he calls me Diener. Diener, he says, watch my eyes. He says, see my eyes? Follow my eyes. He said, never let your eyes wander in front of camera. Now he said, when camera's on you, take all the time in the world and do whatever feels natural. And the other thing is, speak low, speak slow. Then he said, I learned that from the Duke himself. Well, you know, I've 
been observing you here now for the last four weeks, and I don't see any evidence of mental illness at all. And I think that you've been trying to put us on all this time. There are lots of people who we find that we're helpless sometimes, but I never have felt anybody to be hopeless. Right. And, um, and everybody deserves to be helped. Right. I think it has to be at some point that we begin to treat people, as I say, because they're sick and not because they're dangerous. And this is, um, uh, this is what I want to work on. By the way, did you uh, recognize who was interviewing him? It's uh, it's Ralphie from The Sopranos. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> who, has, who gives kind of the most Jack Nicholson esque performance I think in that whole show? That he always kind of reminded me of like a, a strange like Jack Nicholson side character between his, between the wig that he's wearing in it and uh, right. you know, his, his overacting. <laughs> is it overacting though? I mean, well, like the, char the character over the character is kind of playing a character, right? In in the Sopranos, yeah, like, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like, I think you can make a real argument, and people have, I think, for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that he's got antisocial personality disorder, right? I mean, he's, he, which in the 60s was like, oh, he just likes as a private time, you know? He's just a dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's called being a dude. Hello. It's like, no, it's actually it's an actual disorder. Yeah. yeah. And it's incredibly, <laughs> fucking, it's, it's incredibly fucking dangerous to a, a society that like values any kind of order to have kind of people with that full blown, like, sociopathic almost uh antisocial personality disorder where you know you are a disruptive force for the sake of being a disruptive force but then this kind of asks questions um this movie and, and the book i guess probably too um um about you know who really is crazy who's seen as dangerous who um where is that line and is uh, should we be treating people because they're dangerous as as the director of uh you know in in this sense like the director of the oregon state hospital should we be treating people as like as if they're sick or as if they're dangerous? And you know, I think these are questions that weren't quite raised before that. Like people would just kind of be thrown into these institutions and forgotten about on purpose. They'd be like, "Look, you, you can kind of lobotomize them," which is something that's horrified. This, this is why I've never, yeah. I've never fucking uh, wanted to watch this movie because the concept of lobotomy, as someone who has been in and out of psychiatric facilities throughout my life, like that concept has been chilling to me. The, yeah. the idea that like just a few decades ago. They would be like, oh, we'll make sure you're not disruptive anymore. Let's just cut your brain open. That That's something that's like felt incredibly haunting to me <laughs> for for my whole life. So, you know, but like, but that is kind of their, their, um, their way to deal with disruption. It's just, well, let's cut out the part of your brain or assume we're, we might cut out the part of your brain that uh, deals with disruption that we've decided does. There's no science behind it, but like, listen, the frontal lobe will cut out part of your frontal lobe because that's the decision-making part. We must, we have to like, you know, mess up the neural links or whatever. And it's like this very base understanding of uh, psychology. I was reading into the history of it for this episode and realizing like how flimsy it really was. Um, like it worked on one or two people kind of. And then all of a sudden this doctor started going around being like, do I have this magical treatment for you guys? And they would perform them on stage sometimes. 2025 20, at a time. It ruined the Kennedy. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. In my opinion, bro, like she was not, she was just maybe manic depressive or something like that. But yeah. oh, they can't be like that. Like any, like any 
minor inconvenience you would get lobotomized for. Oh, you're Sarah, talking about we're going to lobotomize her now. Yes, yeah, like, oh, you got a migraine? Oh, lobotomize. We are, we are, uh, we must, we must lobotomize our sister. Yeah, I just like some peace and quiet around here. I'm lobotomy. <laughs> Can I just say also, Kennedy, the Kennedy family, not great, not a great brain family. Bad things happen to Kennedy. <laughs> it's not a great thing. Era, bad brains. Fantastic <laughs> band. Not so much of a genetic problem, though. But it's, it's, bad, it's, uh, it's bad brains. It's dead Kennedys. Yeah. It's just interesting how, like, we've come such a long way that we no longer, like, everyone felt like, oh, you're mentally somewhat, or like, something's wrong with you. Oh, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to do electric shock therapy, which is still, like, insane. Um, they even, when they were filming, they the still cast, do shock therapy, by the way. Electric shock. They brought it back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. she never left. Yeah, that's true. Too. Like all good fads, it's back again and it's it's cooler than ever. Everybody shot yeah. there. But like the cast witnessed some of those treatments being done. No, it's ironic. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hey. lobotomize Conan. He is a disruptor for now. <laughs> too late. <laughs> the movie night extravaganza crew gets lobotomized. <laughs> Yo, that was that five-hour stream we did. That's that's. I mean, you, you edited it, you know. I, I would do anyway, want to bring Christina. Up, um, sorry, I was I was doing jokes all over some serious stuff you were saying. So my bad. Oh well, since you mentioned, actually, when I was when I stayed, because I'll be honest, I made an attempt on my life. Uh, <laughs> you have to be humorous when it comes to that stuff. But like this one woman, she actually received like some severe. Like she tried every medication every treatment even like severe like it or like electroshock and she's like nothing works and i'm like hmm. you just gotta deal with it i guess i don't know how you know what do you do for people who have done everything and nothing works for them you let them live as comfortably as humanly possible but yeah yeah and, you know, and just don't understanding be, that right they don't have face. control because that was always yeah. the problem, like when I was when I was working, because I, I was a caregiver for adults with developmental disabilities and delays. So we're talking about people who have not progressed past like maybe an eighth grade understanding of the world, if at all, and literally lack the frontal capa like lobe capacity to make long term decisions and plannings for themselves. And it's like 20, 30 years ago, we were locking those people up in horrific conditions and squalor and just letting them rot. And and now it's like they're under conservatorships and we all know how well those they are might live a little bit more comfortable. As long as they're female, they're in a conservatorship. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Can't say the same about Kanye West or I was gonna say, where's Kanye? Where's Elon? Right, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Elon definitely. <laughs> By the way, uh, anyway, Thorazine, sorry, Thorazine was the first antipsychotic that they released that yeah. um, that actually made it so they stopped lobotomizing people because yeah. they're like, well, this works as a much better suppressant. And that was going to lead to my next thing is that for the most part, these people living in these institutions now are just receiving chemical lobotomies because they are so intense. Like I, I think I may have mentioned this on my stream yesterday, but I was caregiving for a guy that would run off and eat raw chickens in the middle of the night. Like we did, we talked, we did, we talked about this in the uh, three faces of Eve. Right. I yeah. Yeah. So like, that was, that was one of the people that I care gave for. And so they just had him on a 
fuck ton of lithium, a fuck ton of lithium, because otherwise he he had a hunger that could only be satiated by eating raw meat in the middle of the night, like a chupacabra. So, it, you know, it, it's just it's about making people as comfortable as as they can be. But even then, like those medications aren't you you are performing a lobotomy in a way. You I was weaned off of them, but like it's I was just, and it's, and it's, when I was uh, when I was fifteen, and I was prescribed an overdose, <clears throat> an overdose of lithium, and I uh, I walked. In, I remember walking into the park and just like staring at trees, and the trees were like it felt like almost like the trees were gonna grab me or something. Like I was having this weird, like I was having lithium toxicity, and I don't know. I I don't I don't know if this is like the the best movie for me to sound off on because i've been through like hellish fucking psychiatric experiences but um maybe maybe that maybe it does make it the best movie that's why i avoided it for so long though because i've really been through like some shit <laughs> yeah right. i, I just want to bring up uh another movie that's uh in theory to this but it's because it's based on a true story and it actually does kind of help um push us into where the you know where things started to reform a bit um because uh Right around the time this movie takes place, uh, there was a gentleman named Chris Calhoun who um, was uh, basically went on a shooting spree, according to the movie. Um, I've not really read up on his whole story uh, real life, so I'm just going to go off the movie um, and ends up in a uh, mental institution, um, you know, for, for the shooting spree. And uh, basically, he used the law to, uh, to reform the institution from the inside. Uh, it's a really interesting story and not a very good movie. Even though you got Dennis Hopper and Gary Oldman, and 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 just just doing incredible performances. Well, um, another thing. So another so thing those is, days. So those days they put you in a mental institution. Today they just give you a show on Fox News. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so no, but like it does. I mean, this is the time period too that One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest comes out, where they begin to reform these institutions because yep. the the whole thing is that you know they had put people into psychiatric care and just kind of forgotten about them, and. Um, I think that uh, Ken Ken Casey who Ken, is, Ken, Ken Casey this is his first yeah. book by the way yeah it's before Electric Kool Aid Acid Test is before uh, most of the stuff with the Merry Pranksters I mean like this this is like a early book for him and he was he was kind of um, first first went to one of these institutions as um, part of uh, MK Ultra I don't think he knew he was part of MK Ultra but the CIA program where they tested uh, acid on people to see if they could mind control them for a certain amount of money. Um, so, so he first started out in, in one of those programs and then decided to work at the hospital as an orderly. And, um, and also, I think, stole a bunch of, uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, stole some of the uh, the acid they were using for those acid tests. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that's... Kids, I think it ended up in college kids' uh, dorms and stuff like that, so... Yeah, well, so so at that point, though, the only place you could get acid from was MKUltra, like that program, right? And they didn't call it that, and nobody really knew it was that, but then a lot of people um, later found out that, like, that is where they were getting the acid from. It was literally from the CIA. But, the, the like... The um, thing is that they started sneaking it out of there and they had chemists, like, you know, like basement chemists, like the good kind of chemists, um, kind of synthesizing what they kind of found from CIA uh, lab acid. And that's how acid kind of got out to the general population, which is kind of a, a crazy story that I never actually heard all of until I read Stephen Kinzer's book on it. And um, he has uh, he has one flew over the cuckoo's nest, like the, the author, um, as one of the sources that he uses for that book. Um but yeah. So, all right, but yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> so, Tom Wolf's electric Kool Aid acid test is literally, you know, it's it's 
they, they were trying to create art out of um, everyday life, right? So the Merry Pranksters, they were literally run around and throw these parties called acid tests around Bay Area and, and, and beyond. And, like, that's how Neil Cassidy got turned on to it, who then uh, beget, like, you know, um, uh, Kerouac and Ginsburg, Timothy Leary, like, so on and so on. So, like, I mean, there, there's – as far as psychedelics go, like mm-hmm. – if if he hadn't written one flew over the cuckoo's nest, like you'd basically be like the, like the godfather of mo- modern psychedelia to a certain degree, uh, but like he did, so we think of him as the incredible author uh, that you know wrote this this fantastic uh, play a, a book that turned into a play, turned into a movie, but yeah, incredibly important to a culture that honestly I find I openly disdainful of because I think hippies failed completely, and I think the whole psychedelic thing basically well, that's the only, that's culture the only back in a big time, yeah. big way. But, the only thing you can feel for the new left, like that whole movement, is disdain. Yeah. Like that is the only yeah. real thing that yeah, because <laughs> it was it was an abject failure and just basically led to uh, a hedonistic lifestyle that uh, led to people seeking uh, introversion to a certain degree and selfishness that made sure that we had the yuppies, right? It's no surprise that so many of the hippies turned into yuppies, right? Uh, so that's a separate discussion, but I think it's also worth mentioning that the blatant hypocrisy of, of the boomers thinking that they're redefining love and really all they're doing is just having a good time on drugs. Hey, no sweat. That's fine. Just don't think you're doing anything that important because you're not actually changing culture that much other than making a bunch of dumb jokes in movies nobody cares about. Um, So I have a, I have a a thing of uh, Ken, is it Ken Casey or is it Ken? uh... I I always thought it was Ken Casey. Uh, You know, I'll I'll do that bit where I do the pronunciation. (laughs) Because I, I I saw him. I saw uh, him and the Merry Pranksters open for Jane's Addiction. Actually, by the way, I like this comment. Uh, I was thinking Cornell West asking, "What does it mean to be well adjusted in unjust society?" Good, good question. <laughs> oh, there we go. Hold on, Ken Kesey. All right. Um, yeah. So this is this is a clip of him talking about the process of writing uh, "One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest." Ken Kesey. The real spark for that book came when I'd been over to Pendleton Roundup with my dad. And on the way back on the bus, going down the Columbia Gorge toward Portland, there was a big scene up in front of us. And they stopped uh, the bus, and there were cop cars and ambulances. And the bus driver got out and asked this, uh, I think it was a construction worker, that was walking along and talking to people because they were in the process of building the dam, the first big dam on the Columbia, which wiped out Silo Falls, and which was where I had been watching ever since I was a kid, watching the Indians get out there on the rocks and scoop and stick with the big salmon. And the guy says, oh, some drunk Indian got out in the road with a knife in his teeth and ran right straight into the grill of one of our trucks. And it's so perfect seeing this big line of people uh, over here, this construction job going on, building the dam, and the story that this Indian took on modern American machine, head on, with a knife in his mouth. And, and from that, I gradually expanded it into the cuckoo's nest idea. I had to uh, report for the draft up here uh, 
and I'd also put in an application for a scholarship to Stanford. And I had dislocated my shoulder in wrestling not long before that. So I let my arm hang. There was a big gap there in the x-rays. And the guy had taken the x-rays, looked at stuff, and he says, you don't really want to go on the service to you. I said, no. My life just took a turn and headed down uh, to the Bay Area. And we were living with a bunch of other grad students in a little, little area there. And uh, Vic Lovell was part of the drug experiment and that was going on at the Menlo Park Hospital. And he got me to sit in for him. And finally, I became one of the regular guinea pigs. And they took me in to give me this, these drugs that was on the ward and put me in a nice little room that was locked little tiny window here with the chicken wire glass on it and gave me this stuff. And we did it for like eight weeks. I got 20 bucks every Tuesday. And I started looking out at those guys through this little chicken wire window. And I saw that the doctors were unaware of something, that the nuts knew quite well. And that part of it was the fact that all this Freudian stuff is baloney. That these guys were in there not because of something that happened to them in their bathroom when they were six. They were there because something had happened to them in their adult life. The stuff that really made me see the hard side of it in the uh, cuckoo's nest fashion was a stuff called, uh, it was IT290, and there was Ditran, but mescaline itself. Mescaline, when you take mescaline, you begin to see Indian... Uh, blankets in your mind. You realize this is something to do with not only America today, but with America a thousand years ago. After I was finished with the experiments, I came back and got a job as an aide, was put on that very same ward, and worked nights there for uh, nine months. And in the course of the working, I was able to write that book, almost all on the ward. Nurses would come by and say, oh, Mr. Kesey, you're typing up your reports again. I'm so proud of you. And I, I didn't tell them that what I was doing was uh, not only writing about these guys and twisted uh, uh, consciousnesses, but I had joined the, the ranks of the twisted conscious. But, but then it was doing stuff that I had not to be doing. But I knew that I was seeing something really peculiarly American and tragic and glorious at the same time. And so that book really just kind of wrote itself. There you go. Yeah. Cheesy. So true, King. So true. Because, yeah, that was just my thought. Like, while I was watching, I was like, this just feels like, this just feels like the job that I had. Exa it feels exactly like the job that I had. I literally had a woman who was placed in there, and it's like, you don't like she was placed into a group home with people with like very like severe disabilities and she shouldn't have been there. She was placed there as punishment. Um, and it was just, it was tragic. It was just, it was just like an increasing, like give her more drugs to get her to act more controllable. And all she wanted to do was like have some semblance of freedom and be like, I want to, move to LA and live in LA. Like I'll have a caregiver in LA, but like, why can't I live on my own anymore? Because it, it was just, it was punishment. Um, yeah. And yeah. I mean, it hits entirely different also when, you know, it's, it's women because um, 
it's it's taken a long time for us really to view women as people as a society you know what i mean like people that have agency over their own lives right. that just you know subject to whatever their uh husbands or you know their fathers or whatever other caregiver really um you know thinks or or and, and and you see it even now with like britney spears and the whole conservatorship thing exactly um yeah. like even even if you have that level of success you can just have someone go like oh well i don't think they're mentally fit and like put them away which is why i think that hit so hard for so many different people or for so many people right. because they're like oh shit like this is something that could still very much happen within our society even to someone who's like you know like a generational icon in a way like yeah has, has right. power and agency in her own way but still is and i and i honestly thought she was out of the conservatorship when like she was doing like the recording a new album and going on these all these tours and whatnot or when she was you know hosting america's got talent or whatever or the X Factor, one of those shows. But they're like, "Oh no, she's Trump. she's still under all that." And I'm like, "No, that's a that's a family that needs money." That yeah, like, yeah well, exactly. I was just gonna say she's working, so she's working, yeah. so therefore she's earning. She's yeah. earning money for them. But I, I think it ties back to what we were talking about in the last episode on uh, Three Faces of Eve, too, right? About how, like, you know, when they're talking about, uh, you know, Eve's status as a human, it's really just in relation to what value she's providing for her dick bag of an adult husband really right. like, you know what and, and like okay so that's like quintessentially 1950s right this is a little bit later this is the 60s but this is as those norms are barely barely starting to be adjusted and don't get me started on the internalized misogyny of uh, hippies and boomers because i mean let's be clear like despite rhetoric to the otherwise there was there was a lot of you know women are shadow like sort of uh mindsets that uh especially when you get into the culty kind of stuff, et cetera, et cetera. It, we really have not advanced that far at that point. No, we have not. That's where Absolutely that's not. Thank um, you. As a dude, that is my opinion. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me and like birthing cows. And, yeah, exactly. And, right. And still we have this whole thing where um, men like consider themselves allies or something to the cause of feminism and kind of right. get away with whatever fucking behaviors they want. Um, yeah, I mean, the know, men's rights movement that. came out of uh, the women's rights movement. It, it's really weird because this guy was like involved with, um, like, like one of the founders was involved with uh, freaking what's her name and and the sixties and Canada. I don't know. It's weird. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> but but well, yeah. I mean, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. You go. No, 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 you go. You go, good sir. I forgot what I was <laughs> but I, But I think, okay, so if you think about it in terms of uh, Casey's book, like that's why Louise Fletcher's portrayal of Nurse Ratched is so interesting and so compelling. Uh, because think about of the time, right? Like, and there, there is like, like I said, there's a certain amount of, um, you know, I think I saw in the chat, like, complicity, right? Complicity. But she's not the originator of, of, of these. Well, she's just main, trying to maintain order. She's trying to look after the people that are under her charge, how she looks at it. Now, is she overbearing? Yes. Is she unfair? Absolutely. But, like, she's not a villainous thing. And that's what makes her a fantastic antagonist. Right. Because you really have two people that are both trying to do good at loggerheads with each other in, in the ways that they know. Now, Jack Nicholson's the fun one. Like, his character is... Uh, He's, he's the X factor. You know, he bring he brings in uh, the sex workers, 
right? Like he's 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 like very interested in getting everyone to like watch like the, the game, so on and so on. Hey, I, I actually have a I actually have a question about that. Do you, is that is the sex worker he brings in? Is that the fifteen year old that he is arrested for originally, or is that just the mm. sex worker he knows? Because mm. I had I had questions about that. Um, as soon as that's the person he first picked up, right? Like you would assume that that's the person that he was having some kind of sexual relationship with. A teenage you know. Um, mm. well, I mean, I don't, I don't know what, like, it doesn't seem like he's paying, like he's paying her to be like, it seems like they do have some kind of relationship, although like, you know what I mean? Like whether he kind of, um, kind of passes her out to and, and her friend out to whoever, like whoever within this ward, it does seem like they have some kind of relationship where he, um, like, it's not like he hands her money or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like they have a, a, a relationship of some kind because that's, that's the first person he picks up. And I, I just wondered, um, I, I wondered if that was the person he got arrested for being with in the first place. And I also wondered, um, yeah, like, what what was his role in that? Because in some ways, it seems like he kind of promises her to uh, Turkleton or whatever his, his you know, um, Scatman Crothers character is, but uh, <laughs> and, and her friend. But it also seems like they do have, like, like it, it's telling that that's the first place he goes. I think you would assume that that's kind of a, a person that he had some kind of relationship with, although like a non-possessive one. It seems like. Yeah, I yes. don't know. I've never read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I, really I don't know. It. I, I I've read the book and it's been years. I don't remember that being the case, but also maybe I just wasn't an avid enough of a reader to pick up on that. Kind of seems like the guy that, you know, a guy that would like know, quote unquote, good time girls, right? As, as I think they were referred to. Then. But he really and, tries to get the other guys to just loosen up and have fun. And they're like, uh, nurse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Loosen Hello, up and have fun. Nurse. Okay, womanize with me. It's a good time, damn it. <laughs> um, there, there's weird. So this movie, I like it a lot. I liked it a lot. It was. Like, I think it really is one of the best movies of all time. Of course, the last, like, 20 minutes of it get very dark. Um, but that's one of the things that makes it so great, yeah. right? Yeah, well, I mean, because kind of the... Because for the, all his faults, for all, as, sorry to keep railroading you, but for all his faults and all, and as messed up as he is, and how he actually is, have a, like, a mental disorder, despite him being there allegedly accidentally, what happens to him is horrible. Yeah, no, it's absolutely horrible, and it, and it's heartbreaking, and it's like, oh wow! I'm so glad you're the forest of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so, but but there is kind of um when when he uh, and I love that it's Scat Mary Crothers is the actor that plays that character, but like it does seem that when he um has him like uh you know he kind of promises him the girls and they start kind of having a party and there's almost like an Animal House vibe to it, like. He's kind of almost turning his uh, psychiatric unit into a frat house or something. You know what I mean? Like they're all partying. They have these bottles. Like the girls brought bottles. They're like all like chilling. Like it's like this fun kind of thing. And obviously the bill has to come due. Like at the end of it. Like there's you can't do that. Like you can't number one kidnap the entire uh, psychiatric unit kind of and take them fishing and escape and like do all these kind of antics and get away with it because this is in the end, uh, you know, somewhere that has full control over you and that is somewhere that's supposed to be treating your psychiatric health or 
at least um, kind of pretending to offer that kind of treatment, right? Like it's a brutal institution. But throughout the first two thirds of this movie, I kind of found it fascinating that like they kind of take a lighthearted approach, like it, like the back and forth between uh, you know Nurse Ratchet and um, you know and, and Jack Nicholson's character. Uh, it, it seems like that 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 whole back and forth is almost. Um, seems almost like kind of lighthearted in some ways. Like yeah. there isn't really like Sam any... and Diane, right? Like yeah. to use a, for a TV series, it was like much later. But like at McMurphy and Ratchet, it's like, oh well, are, oh okay, what's happening? Are, do they have a respect for each like other? That. Are they going to be friends? You know, like no, that is not no. And I think she does no. have a respect. No for him. and no. <laughs> well, she does have a respect for him, which is why she needs to lobotomize him in the end. Like she has a respect for the way that he's able to actually coalesce um, these, like the, his whole unit into like this disruptive force. But like that is the reason yeah. that she needs to have somebody actually cut his head open and try to rearrange his neural pathways or whatever. Patients got to unionize, you know. Uprising, <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> but, but again, look at it from her perspective, right? It, like an, an uprising in the in the hospital is like not necessarily the, the the best thing for for order. So she's looking at like, oh, he's being a disruption, and what makes him kind of dangerous out in the world, like being like an antisocial uh, personality disorder also makes him a leader, especially amongst these guys that like are live kind of sheltered lives. And they're like, Oh, this guy's cool and fun. All right, cool. Yeah. Let's, let's do cool, fun things with our cool and fun friend. So he might be a like a sociopath in a way. I, I, I want to yeah. hear, hear Marina riff on this a little bit because I would I love like that too. very, very charming. I, I've got nothing. I've just been listening. And do, I mean, do you think his antics are like cool and fun, or are you like, oh, this guy? Like, I mean, that's. <laughs> I think that it just he just showcases that instead of pathologizing mental health and treating people like they're people, that you probably have better outcomes for treatment instead of what Nurse Ratchet is doing, which is kind of just tormenting them in these group therapy sessions, which clearly aren't helping. They always turn into these, like nobody's smiling and laughing and giggling. They're yelling, they're screaming, or they're like getting physical with each other. And um, like, yeah, as Forrest said, the reason that she has to, to, to stop Jack Nicholson's character is because he's outdone her. She's he's done hit her job better than she could do it because she doesn't view them as people. She views them as her wards for her to smother. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I don't think Jack Nicholson uh, views them as people when he first gets there. Right. Like he's no. just kind of trying to fuck around, but you do see that that's where the humanity of the story correct kind of kicks in where it's like, Oh no, fuck. These are like my friends now. Like these are people that I actually relate to on a bunch of different levels. Like what, like psychiatric disorders don't, dehumanize you in any in right. any way, shape, or form. Like all of a sudden, you know, people have issues that they need to overcome. And it seems like people um, aren't really working towards those issues within the psychiatric institution for the reason that they're not working, like they're not like Nurse Ratchet uh, you know, torturing her friend, which is like a weird conflict of interest, her friend's uh kid by being like, Oh, I'm gonna tell your mother over and over again, which is clearly what he fears. Like that's not working towards ending his psychiatric issues. But it does seem like there is um, a pathway forward for that character. Like he's terrified of a parent that is probably a lot like Nurse Ratchet. Like is yeah. domineering. That's the reason why they're buds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it seems like you know even even characters like uh, Danny DeVito's character in this that is like kind of you know a little bit out of it, probably overly medicated anyway. But like is kind of just 
like I don't know, uh, HR McMaster or H- wait, what's what's I, I HR McMaster? <laughs> McMurphy is Rick the Murphy, name of the Rick character. Yeah, a surprising later career. HR, puppet stuff. HR Giger over there, right? Yeah. <laughs> HR Puff and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I watched. Three. I watched three Cronenberg movies yesterday and still managed to watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest the third time. So my brain is just a sponge right now. But um, <laughs> but anyway, no, but you, when HR Giger showed up at the, yeah. <laughs> you would assume though that these issues for a lot of these characters, even Danny DeVito's character, seems to probably be someone that I would recognize almost as like overmedicated, like someone who yeah. kind of um has kind of had the uh, all emotion and uh, response people kind of sapped out of them by uh, simply medication or I mean also it could be like something like autism or something but like I don't know um, yeah. like it, it does seem like even then uh, you know Jack Nicholson has him on the boat and is like look you're not loony now like you're just kind of having fun like uh, you know fishing you're, you're a fisherman now like that is a uh, an, an approach to treatment that actually probably would work like Somebody actually, and, and I'm queuing something up with this, but um, the, uh, you know, the, the, the director, Milos, uh, I, I think Furman is the last name, but... Um, Milos Furman. Yeah. So he, um, I have a clip of him talking about the, the results of the doctor that we talked about, who was the actual person at the Oregon State uh, Psychiatric Hospital. Um, there actually was some results from kind of having them involved in this process of filmmaking. I mean, I, I don't know. This is obviously from a biased source in, in this case, but um, Milos Forman also did Amadeus. He also did uh, Man on the Moon. He did People versus Larry Flint. Like he's made a lot of movies. And they're not yeah. all made like this. I, I don't know how you make another movie like this, but yeah. And I, and I do want to get into the process. <laughs> I, wait, I do want to talk after this about the process of how he came to direct a movie like this and how it ac- actually ended up getting made because I think it's a fascinating story. But yeah, all the actors are actors. All the patients are actors, professional actors, except for the people you see in the background or in other cells. You know in that hospital, they are all patient, patients, mental patients. Because when we, we uh, to shoot the film, we had to shoot the film on location because uh, we didn't have money to build, you know, elaborate studio sets and like that. So we asked several hospitals to let us shoot mental institutions. None would allow us to go there because the book was very unpopular because, you know, not showing psychiatry in the best light, right? That just this one, Dr. Dean Brooks from the uh, state hospital in Salem, Oregon, said, Oh, yeah, please, I have one condition that you will employ some of my patients. Fine, okay, sure. And it was, well, first of all, why? Well, for therapeutic reasons. I don't understand psychiatry. And I didn't want to study anything about psychiatry because I didn't want, before the film, because I didn't want to fill the film with information which only me and a psychiatrist will understand, you know? So I didn't know anything. Okay, so all these people there, you know, in the other cells, in the other rooms and on the, in the corridors are real patients. And it worked. 
I remember we had a one guy there who, when we started shooting, couldn't put three words together so that they make sense. When we finished shooting, he was giving orders to everybody. You know? So it worked. You know? So uh, that was uh, also, it was wonderful because all these Hollywood actors, and you know, some of them became big stars later, it's, you know, Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, Schiavini, uh, uh, Schiavelli, you know. So uh, suddenly in the company, because we were shooting there on the grounds and these people were around, it made them humble. It made Hollywood humble. Everybody was sort of, yeah, how lucky I am. <laughs> and worked really hard. I love that. <laughs> and hey, he's, kind of a, he's kind of a complicated uh, character, uh, Milos, for our kind of politics, because he um, was yes. a an avowed anti-communist and uh, felt like Nurse Ratchet's character was a reaction in this movie to his feelings of feeling stifled under communism. And, you know, I mean, that's something that <laughs> it doesn't really... Well, we also lost his parents in a concentration camp, too. So he's like one of those one of those types of guys that kind of like went almost the other way too far, right? Yeah. yeah. But, Complicated. Uh, you know, just, but, but a big but, free speech advocate. Yeah. See People versus Larry Flint. That's the reason why he was so excited to do that movie was not because of he was a big fan of pornography. So that he was a big fan of you know Larry Flint's free speech advocacy. So Maybe he's a big is, fan of pornography too. I don't know. I don't. So what you're saying is, Milos, go and give them an argument. Go talk. Go talk to Ben Burgess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, and, and, but I, I didn't mean to. Did I sidetrack that conversation? Sorry, I didn't mean. Larry Flint. Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't think he's made a movie recently. I was just wondering if it's still around. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Know. I mean, yeah, I don't he's know. Still alive. I don't Did know. you guys look at like the casting choices for this film? Like people who are probably up for like Jack Nicholson's part and even like Louise Fletcher. Um. Uh, so no. I actually have a, a this. This is what I this is kind of where I wanted to go from this conversation because um, the original casting choice uh, of of this film. And the reason that it even was able to get made in the first place is that the play, um, Kirk Douglas, uh, you know, famous famous uh, feminist Kirk Douglas. <laughs> Milos Foreman died in 2018, by the way. I just looked it up. Oh, okay. well, you know, it's always at the age of 86. So, you know, um, so so Kirk Douglas uh, took a shine to his role, um, you know, playing this on Broadway and actually bought the rights to it. And uh, by the time the movie was able to get made, they tried to make it a bunch of times. Um, Michael Douglas uh, kind of took over, and Kirk Douglas was just too old to play this character. It wouldn't have been convincing in any way, shape, or form. Michael so, Douglas um, in that role? Well, so he played the role on Broadway, though, for, you know, throughout yeah. the 60s, the early 60s. Right, which would make yeah. he would be the right age then, right? So that makes sense. Yeah. So I have a I have a clip of Michael Douglas talking about the process of casting Jack Nicholson, and uh, he mentions a few, like a couple people that were up for the role. I think there's way more people if anyone wants to look it up that were up for the role than they actually uh, talk about in this. But I did think it was an interesting clip, and you know, kind of um, Michael Douglas ends up kind of producing this. And when they talk about this movie, they always have Michael Douglas as the person kind of that they talk to about this. And obviously, thank God he plays no role in it because. I know I'm not necessarily a huge fan of, 
of the work that he's done as an actor, but I am happy that he uh, he kind of uh, played that that role, which, you know, it's it's kind of fascinating that his father, um, he had to kind of beg his father to be like, listen, let me take over. This is a family project. This is something we're passionate about. You're too old to do this, but like, can I please be the person in charge of producing and casting this? Casting the conversation started coming up regarding uh, Mick Murphy. And as I remember, we went, I think we went first to Gene Hackman, who passed. Went to Marlon Brando, who passed. And going back now, about a, I think it was about a year before Hal Ashby at one time had mentioned Jack Nicholson. Now you have to remember Jack had done five easy pieces, easy writer, but his persona was sort of uh, the sensitive young man or the intellectual that was that was a badass, you know. Um, it wasn't R.P. McMurphy, but Hal had just started to do a picture called The Last Detail, and he said, "You got to take a look at this." That was the first picture where you really felt the kind of the size of Jack. You're gonna pull that handheld shit now with the vote that Chief just voted. It was 10 to 9. Now I want that television set turned on right now! Milos was very consumed with Burt Reynolds. Milos loved Burt Reynolds. And I remember him going off, he was doing smoking in the mess. And I said, I look, I I I kind of know what you mean. What but what is it? He said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has cheap charisma. Cheap charisma. It is perfect for McMurphy. No, no, Jack was really uh, always my first choice. But, uh, you know, when we were ready, we found out that uh, he has commitment to make another movie. So if you want Jack, we have to wait six months or seven months, you know. Then I started to uh, think about other, uh, you know, actors eventually. And I must tell it, you know, to, to the credit of Saul and Michael, you know, when I came back to them and said, listen, uh, I would rather wait. They said, okay, we'll wait. They've gone through this, they've rehearsed and rehearsed, and they're taking handcuffs off him. And the very moment that it's on film, he jumps and kisses the other guy. And this is a complete surprise to this man. But Jack did that all the time. Big Bugs Bunny energy there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I have to love the psychiatric hospital guy, though. I Like, it, it's... yeah. Like, he, he just seems like he's so passionate about this. This is the one movie he was in. Like, you know, he just seems like this is the his his passion project. And, um, yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, Burt Reynolds as... Uh, well, that's... <laughs> yeah. All I'm seeing is just yeah, that Saturday night uh, Japanese Ass. sketch where he's like, what's a Popeye? Like, like, that's just all I'm picturing is Burt Reynolds as uh, McMurphy. What's a Popeye? <laughs> I think I think Brando could have done it. I, I think yeah. Brando. Yeah, James Caan was also on the list, and he could have done it uh, too. But James Caan and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Interesting. Okay. Well, it definitely be you'd be like, yeah, statutory rape. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, James Caan. Yep, yep. Not surprised. Seems like that kind of bro. Just gonna say that. Um, yeah. Michael Douglas is interesting. See, here's the thing. I, I guess I have a higher opinion of Michael Douglas than you do, Forrest, because I think like the game is fantastic. You know, China Syndrome. Uh, I think there's a lot of good Michael Douglas. Black Rain. Not, 
I didn't. I mean, I'm not saying that he's like the worst actor of all time. It just, I don't know. It's just like a, a project of this caliber at this time period. It feels like it would be a different that. kind of uh, HR McMaster. Is that what you? But said? it was it was Kirk Douglas <laughs> one of the roles, and I, I could. I yeah. think people only think of Falling Down, which is unfortunately like a, a great movie for its time that has been reappropriated with no nuance whatsoever to be like a, a, a dude's rock, like MAGA kind of thing. And it's not what that is at all. But I think Michael Douglas is a good actor. He's a very different. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't I, think he's. I, yeah. But I would De Niro do in that role. That would be, that would be interesting. 70s De Niro. That'd be interesting. Uh, but I, who would, who was the alternate casting choices for Louise Fletcher? That's my question. Well, you know? Conan, I'm, I'm, you're not going to look it up and, and do the bit. <laughs> I, I, I can. I mean, uh, just I'm, I'm curious. But I think that uh, Marina made a good point a, a while back too about like how I was sort of like almost making excuses for Nurse Ratchet. She's not really interested in in, in helping any of these people grow. She almost doesn't think that's a possibility. She's trying to protect society from them. Is how she's right. thinking. And I think that's really smart to notice because I think in this era of like, we, I like to call it like, you know, ruinous empathy where we like just want to identify and find like a story in the backstory behind someone, why they're this way and whatever. Like, no, like her, her mindset is these people are dangerous to the folks outside. I'm here to keep them here. I'm not here to, to make them well. I'm here to protect the general populace from them. And that makes the motivations for actions that happen later in the movie more apparent when you think about that from, from her mindset. So I think that's an important clarification. I thought that was a good point. Also, it was 100,000 years ago. So oh, sorry. okay. So Anne Bancroft. Whoa. Angela Lansbury. Whoa. Geraldine Page. Colleen Dewhurst and Ellen Bernstein all turned down the role. Ellen Burstyn? Yeah. Like, she would have been good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, except for her, like spots. And she was Mrs. Lovett on Broadway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I listen to that soundtrack actually pretty fucking frequently. And I really, I actually really enjoy it. Shelly Duvall was considered for the role of Candy. Really? Which would have had three people from The Shining in this movie. I was going to say, like, it's The Shining Redux at that point. Yeah. Uh, and Bancroft would that would have been fascinating. Wow, what would she do? Yeah. Like, Blazing Saddles. But like, I'm 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 curious uh, what what Marina has to say about your your point about ruinous empathy and um and I, and I think it's I, I think it's actually fascinating that we have you on the show, Marina, for this for this yeah thing because of your experience working uh, within this field. So I I think I think about that ruinous empathy point a lot too. And I'm, I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering your thoughts on, on some of that. Um, I guess I think I've never heard of the term before today. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I just, just heard of it phrased like that, but I, yeah. but I, do, I see the concepts. Right. Right. Cause it's, just, it's this like need to humanize her. And she's just like, she doesn't have to be a fully formed human. She can just represent the system that sees itself like it, she's just the stagnation is what she is um like the status quo yeah and and i think in a post cold, cold war society it's kind of interesting to make these distinctions because you know someone like milos i guess i'll add the h to it like michael Douglas did um 
you know, seeing this as kind of a, a story about totalitarianism, about um, his experience under the Soviet Union, about his experience under fascism, like, you can kind of see a, a lot of things, um, a lot of these stories, I think, at this time period in the 20th century get compared to things like that because of the struggle. And it's like implicitly understood that this is an ideological struggle and these characters kind of represent ideological motivations. We don't have that anymore. We're under the uh, Tina system. Um, you know, there is no alternative, as, uh, you know, Mark Fisher brilliantly kind of put it. And now we kind of need this this sense of trauma or this sense of um, this backstory kind of for these characters because we don't quite uh, we don't have that ideological struggle between um, kind of fascism or um, any kind of authoritarianism in that way because kind of every society is authoritarian it's kind of adopted those those means right like but we don't call it that so now we kind of need people to have these um, traumatic villainous backstories um, or else we don't really understand that because we don't feel that same kind of pull towards uh, kind of systems as the thing oppressing people. Because if we did understand that every system would be overthrown, we'd be like, oh shit, like all of these are authoritarian systems. Like we need to actually oppose them. So yeah. now we kind of need that to be um, humanized through either some kind of empathy or towards some kind of trauma. Um, you know, and, and the next time we have a movie that kind of deals with that, I think I'd like to have uh, Catherine Liu come on too because she's kind of been doing a lot of work on, on the kind of the, the trauma-based um, function of characterization within TV and film. Mm -hmm. And it kind of feels like uh, we need to see it through that kind of um, empathetic frame and not quite towards, uh, you know, what things, like what a lot of stories, even like Animal Farm or something, like the Orwell stories, like that kind of uh, characters are kind of stand-ins stand for different systems. And it's like, we don't have that because we only really have one global system. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's interesting, but like a best, the, like the best way to describe Nurse Ratchet is the fact that she's basically like, uh, as I'm reading up on her, a popular metaphor for the corrupting influence of institutional power and authority in bureaucracies. She's like, does she need a backstory? Like, <laughs> oh. Like it, 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 like that's why I'm just not interested in that show because of that. Maybe it's great. I, I don't know, but like there was no, there's no need for it. Like one of the one of the things I like about Cobra Kai is Cobra Kai takes what is ultimately not that deep of a movie, but a movie that's well regarded by people of a certain age, and it gives the characters extra dimension and depth. And it, it's not just Bless strict heroes and villains. It's, it's shades of gray. And that works perfectly for that because that was a cheap 80s morality play that happens to have like some great lines and some great scenes. It's okay. Karate Kid's pretty good. Whatever. You know, we can, make the, we can make the libertarian one flew, flew over a cuckoo's nest and be like, listen, Nurse Ratchet is, is the DMV. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, the, the reason why it works with Karate Kid is because it's so surface level. Uh, which is like there's a certain type of movie that came out especially in the 80s that's like that and one of the reasons why cobra kai is so great is because it takes something to the surface surface level adds a different style of depth of it, and tells a modern story with these same characters that goes somewhere different yeah. maybe that's what the, the the ratchet show does i don't know all i know is i think that character's awesome and yeah. i don't want to know anything more about her yeah i'm good but I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to throw Marina more into this conversation because we've all kind of railroaded this into a bunch of different directions, and I want to shocking be, a, be an engaging. <laughs> <laughs> what is shocking about the topic of the film? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Marina, what do you feel about all that? Go ahead. 
what part? <laughs> the last talking. forty minutes of the show, apparently. Yeah, I, See, but I, I kind of, I kind of followed the thread, and then it went in other directions. I was kind of it's following all over the place, yeah. um, and I've been smoking too much of that loud, so I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like, I like that your camera went hazy right as you said that. It knows. <laughs> Yeah, which part specifically do you want me to answer? I'm just, we've kind well, of no, well, I was I, I kind of followed the thread of the, the, the kind of these authoritarian ideological systems and the way that that kind of plays a role within this. And right. Right, once we talk about the boring part, um, definitely want to talk about. <laughs> no, but I, I I kind of I kind of find that fascinating as like I mean also it's been mentioned in the chat like a a, a bureaucracy and like that kind of struggle, yeah. like a bureaucratic struggle, like these different forms of that rather than kind of uh you know the more um performative empathetic side of it which is like let's give nurse ratchet a backstory and make her um this character that like oh these traumatic things happen to that idea of kind of trauma that idea of kind of um emotionality almost you know like that, yeah. that every character kind of has to have that rather than kind of seeing these characters as novels did within the 20th century some of the best novel like all of the best novels too like uh, with uh, kind of a stand-ins for these different ideological and bureaucratical functions. Right. Like, um, this is an allegory. <laughs> this, is, this isn't, she's not a real person, and I don't need to know her depressing backstory and why that makes it okay for her to be giving out lobotomies to people. Like, that's not, which, even then, that's not her final call to be making because she's powerless. More female lobotomies. Then you like, end up with uh, that Zack Snyder movie, Sucker Punch. Right. Like, she's she's still not the one that's in control, which is why, like, why do you, like, it's really just, like, the girl bossification. Yeah. Like, we need to rehash all of this IP just so that, because we have nothing. And it's like, what are you, like, what can you say in this time period about mental health care by using an allegory from the 1960s like what are yeah especially for someone who is trying to uphold a certain system like it's it's in my opinion for her it's about the fact that she has some type of power right yeah over these patients that's all like she likes well, having it, that it, power she has some kind of power and also this is an institution that she doesn't really have control over besides to enforce whatever rules they kind of come up with she's and, fine with that um kind of the idea of like nominal democracy and I, I like i find it a fascinating scene when um her her way to get uh you know jack nicholson to kind of calm down within the story is like oh well listen if you get a certain amount of votes and and not telling him that it's the entire ward just acting like it's, it's the, the single group like if you get a certain amount of votes you can watch the game which is something that totally disrupts the schedule and the system and you realize like she's never going to allow that no matter what happens, she's never going to allow that. There's always going to be a reason why, oh, that vote didn't count. But it's kind of brilliant that she goes, listen, you just need to get a majority of votes and you can, you know, you can, you can change the schedule. That's how we change word policy. So he gets nine votes. He gets a, like the full group. And she's like, oh, no, sorry. I meant like the whole ward. And that's the, re like, that's the moment you realize that like this nominal notion of democracy kind of opening it up to everybody while still being like, I'm going to get control by not, you know, specifying who actually falls into this uh, this category is kind of fascinating. And it kind of is this, um, it's kind of her um, pretending to level with him on some on some point, right? Like her opening this up to some kind of uh, 
you know, fake, fake democratic vote. And then once he goes, Oh, well, I, I kind of fulfilled that. It's like, Oh no, wait, there's another hurdle. But like, yeah, it's like the 2016 always, election. Yeah. Like Bernie Sanders is McMurphy. Uh, Ratchet is Hillary Clinton. And um, you mean I only have to have a certain amount of votes <laughs> to watch the game. This is going to be a, this is going to be easy. <laughs> well, also too, like with Louise Fletcher, like she just has like that face, like you know, she's like a stone cold bitch, like type of like she. This role was perfect for her, which makes sense for her playing the grandmother in Flowers in the Attic. I'm like, she's always going to be playing some type of authoritarian figure yeah. that is out like to destroy Kai people. <laughs> also, she kind of looks like a Dr. Seuss character. <laughs> she got a little who from Hugo. <laughs> but um, I I think that because we're gonna do a, a bonus thing right at with with Renee after this, yeah. um, getting her thoughts on it. So I think it's probably time to move to the letterbox one-liners and uh, you know, kind of go through that. This is a weird fucking movie to have letterbox one-liners for, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> do all of them have the hots for? Gotta throw a little bit. Gotta throw a little bit. So, all right. So, so point one to that. I have pulled letterbox one-liners for weirder, for weirder, more inappropriate movies, for sure. There we go. I've done it. I've done it with a smile, and I managed to pull out some. Well, some, three faces of evil is another one that was weird to do, right? Like, uh, of course it is. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot, you know. But that said, you know, like it's it's, it's I think it's still a good bit. Anyway, we're, I don't want to I don't want to meta analyze the bit. Let's actually do the bit. So, thank you very much for us. Now it's time for the Letterbox one-liners. Letterbox, of course, a place for film, a place open-source democracy, bottom-up. Everybody gets to have their say, not just the Siskels and Eberts of the world, uh, but a bunch of film nerds talking at, with, and to each other about the movies they love, the movies they don't love, the movies they're fascinated by, the movies they're mystified by. And, of course, the best representation of this for this particular bit on this show is the one-liner format where you uh, work out your type five on the internet with everyone else talking about a, a movie you saw. And uh, that's what this bit is. These are the letterbox one-liners for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Acting so real, I thought I was in the cuckoo's nest. Five <laughs> <laughs> stars. It makes, it makes a lot more sense once you find out that like uh, a lot of the characters in the background and the people in the background really were working for a, a psychiatric hospital. Right. Agreed. <laughs> guys being dudes. This is a very like guys rock, dudes rock movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, really, it feels like Animal House, but it feels like Animal House, but in a psychiatric hospital for the first two thirds of it. Like, it's like yeah, literally you're, you saying that literally like played in my head just right before you said that. I was like, oh, he's gonna say this. <laughs> and you were right. By the way, Animal House came out uh, three years later. It's like, what if we did that, but not in a mental hospital? There we go. There you go. But there were there were so many derivations of of this particular one. But this was my favorite. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's it's a guys being dudes movie. It is. It's a dudes rock movie. Boys interrupted. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking this the whole time. I'm like, wait a minute. I oh, yeah. watched Girls and Girls Erupted, and I'm like, it's like that, but for dudes. By a bitch ass nurse. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Angela, a character would totally, 
He would totally be an MRAGA now. You know. He yep. would be. Sorry, that was just <laughs> ironic misogyny. The same way I used towards J.K. Rowling. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of the guy that was just dancing in the background in some of the scenes. Yeah. Do you, do you right. think? I didn't. So, all right. So, I was making these uh, the the graphic version of this last night, and for the first two times I watched this, I didn't really notice how much that guy was dancing in the background, yes. and they, they they played up in the very beginning. Like they literally have that moment where he's dancing in the background and the guy's like, no, sit down, sit down, sit down. And like, put so you think that was another, do you think that was one of the mental patients or do you think that was, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Maybe he's the father of the kid who's moonwalking uh, for no reason in uh, Twin Peaks. Oh, I thought he was going to be the father of the, uh, the father of the guy. There's that weird video that they always play where it's like a bunch of Russian people doing uh, like the dance with glow sticks. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but. Oh, this will remind me of. <laughs> I've never not. seen this. <laughs> I did not think it would end like that. <laughs> um, Jesus. <laughs> Longar long seven saying what uh, I think everyone thinks when they see it for the first time, contextless. Well, the first two—that's what I was saying. Like the first two thirds of it have a very different feeling, and then you go through the la the final, like the ending of it. And you're like, oh fuck. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so Christopher Lloyd was young once. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was only for five minutes, but we caught it on film. We got, we got something, it. We got the golden hour. happened once Reagan got into office. I mean, Bernie's been openly elderly since the Carter administration, at least. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, didn't he become an old man during uh, Taxi? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> ah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, it's Christopher, like Christopher, it's Christopher Lloyd's character is kind of fascinating to me, and this is what happens to you when you watch this movie three times. So I realized that he's one of the only people actually committed. Like he's one of the three. You know, they list off like, oh, these are the people that are actually here non-voluntarily, um, like within the psychiatric hospital. He's one of those, but he also is one of the most uh, quote-unquote like normal in some ways doesn't seem like he's over medicated you know what i mean like he definitely has anger issues but like it's not put into that um he, he kind of is one of the more co coherent characters so that kind of fascinated me about him in this movie yeah chief got to be the realest motherfuckers in existence of cinema <laughs> yo get you get you a get you a friend like chief though like yeah. r.i.p yeah great character I, met, I, I think I mentioned like the very beginning of the episode before we redid the opening uh, that, yeah, like that, that, that character is fantastic. And also the, from the book, it, the, it's from his perspective. And also to the, uh, what, Will, Will Sampson? Yeah, too bad he got uh, zucked by the poltergeist cursed. But mm, what a guy. This is actually just a Dr. Emmett Brown origin story. <laughs> True. Amazing. He broke in 1955, ended up in a mental institution in 1962. Connect the dots, people. Kids ain't ready. I really like the part where Danny DeVito started eating dice. Oh, God. I kind of remember if he did that in the It's Always Sunny episode about this. Probably. I, I also like the part where he uh, he has the problem telling whether it's like nickels and dimes. And then later on, he like he's like, "Oh, I bet a dime." <laughs> you can tell because he broke the cigarette in half, and he's like, "Oh, well, you know, that's that's still a dime. It's two halves." He's like, that's not how that works. That's not you don't, you don't break a dime. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this deserves a remake where everyone except Chief is played by Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and those are the letterbox reviews. One liner one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Follow the show, uh, a letterbox movie extravaganza that's forced over there. I, of course, am Conan Neutron. Follow me as well. J. Andrew World over in this box over there is on it. Christina is on it now as well. She needs friends, so go uh, be friends with Christina and convince her to use the site more. I'm trying. Yeah, uh, Marina, I don't think you're on Letterbox, right? I'm not. No. Marina's okay. got to like not on. I gotta do She's it. too busy to be, be on Letterboxd. I need to be cyberbullied. She, 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 yeah, she needs to be cyberbullied about your movie opinions as well as being a woman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> We Under communism, there will be no women having movie opinions. That's literally <laughs> Under communism, there will be no more women. <laughs> like, got bad and poor. We will oh, abolish like, I really, women. I really wish I had the Bernie Sanders clip to play that goes, the American people are tired of women. That's good stuff. J. Andrew, Public Defender World, take it away with the plugs. All right. If you're watching this right now on Twitch, do the Twitch thing. Subscribe if you can. Um, if you have an Amazon Prime account, you can subscribe for free for you. That helps us out. Thank you. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, do the YouTube thing. Hit that bell. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that uh, like button. Hit hit, hit that uh, comment button. Comment. Say something cool. Because every once in a while, we get some great comments, and we appreciate that. Once every six months. <laughs> Ring that bell like McMurphy's skull got drilled into. Exactly. Oh, fuck. Why? Ooh. Why would why why would you do that? Lobotomize yourself. YouTube has turned my brain into uh, my frontal lobe into now. Anyways, uh, you, <laughs> once you have to liquefied your frontal lobe of YouTube, um, I, I highly encourage you to go to our Patreon and subscribe that way too. Uh, you know that also helps us out, gets you access to. Bonus episodes like what we're going to be recording right after this. Yes, exactly. Also, plenty of great YouTube comments tonight. Uh, and so please keep that going. We like it, even if we don't immediately. Oh, I meant I meant like the com like the comments under it because people people react to the chat and I love it. But I'm, I'm yeah. I was talking about like actually on the videos it doesn't happen as often. Although someone the other day uh, discovered our channel and then in big letters wrote lots of good stuff here on like episode two. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, just you wait. There's like 7,000 more hours of it, friend. <laughs> think it's good now. Comment, comments on like episode 23. Yes, seen too much. Done. I'm done. I'm out. Unsubscribe. I'm all out. It's enough. It's enough for me. I don't like your opinion on Reagan, so I'm out. Um, <laughs> I fit him in there somewhere. I did. I worked. I, worked. I, yeah. I hope you're very proud of yourself because it was uh, not the least bit forced at all. It was good. <laughs> Which is weird because Reagan actually did shut down mental institutions as uh, governor of California in the 60s. He absolutely did. And we didn't discuss yeah. that. That's how Conan got discussed. out. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually at a very young age. In fact, I think it was before I was born. But anyway. Yeah, that, that, that was how his uh, parents met, actually. <laughs> I, I, it's a more plausible story than you might be led to believe, yeah. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to go to uh, the the after party after this so i want to go to you know I, I put the link in the in the private chat so anyone that wants to join in on that um on, on the panel can but i want to go to final thoughts about one flew over the cuckoo's nest um we might actually make it underneath uh two hours for this episode <laughs> um marina starting with you final thoughts about this anything you want to you want to add um 
Yeah. Um, always take your medicine. That's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> take your pills. No, this is a great movie. Um, it's it's. Some of those were vitamins. I'm calling that out. <laughs> well, they, my psychiatrist told me to take these vitamins with these meds to make them work better. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. A fantastic film. It feels like a play. It has incredible acting, and Jack Nicholson is obviously like mentally unwell, and that's why he did it this well. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't acting, as it turns out. Yeah. All right, uh, Christina. Final thoughts, ideas, etc. Uh, I have advice for those who are on bipolar medication. Please take selenium; it helps. Mm. Also, too, this movie's phenomenal. I mean, I love Jack Nicholson. I love Louis Fletcher. Um, everything. Love Dane DeVito, love Chucky. <laughs> I mean, this, I mean, as you know, for some of us who've spent time institutionalized, it's it's a bit of a wake-up call for sure. And like some everybody's experience is different, clearly. You know, this film does not really glamorize uh what it's like, but um I highly recommend this film and uh yeah, I mean it's it's I can see why it's one of the like greatest films of all time. I think uh, Sel Selenium Gomez does a great job in Only Murders in the, in the Building. By the way, I think she's a she's a fantastic I actress. Love that show. It's a good show. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who writes that show, and I'm like, you can get me in contact with Selena Gomez, can you? <laughs> I'd, I'd be more like you can uh, the, the rest of the cast. I mean, God, you know, Steve Martin. Yeah, like, like Martin Short. Like Martin Steve. Short, come on, movie night extravaganza. Let's go, baby. Yeah, I, I, I haven't started. I'm eventually going to start watching it. I haven't started watching it because it reminds me too much of like something like my NPR watching dad would just be overly enthusiastic about. That's part of that's part of the thing, right? And that's why no, it's uh, really good. Selenium Gomez right. is so good in it for many reasons, but not the least of which is they kind of lay into like you know the generational divide, like what people get out of these shows, etc. It's good. It's a good show. Dude. All right. Well, well I, I also haven't been watching that many. Talked about it before, so this is the first time I've ever heard anybody say anything about the show. I made a Facebook post about it, and I don't go on Facebook that much. And like, it got more interactions than anything I've done in the last two years. You don't. You don't go on Facebook that much. That's not. That's not <laughs> what I've heard, but. From okay. us having a nonstop chat on Facebook. Oh, Messenger doesn't count. I yeah, mean, all, right, all right, all right. Yeah, let's I'd, 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 I'd rather do email. I'm talking about Facebook for its stated intention of uh, data mining, what everyone's into, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I basically right, right. post my my crap and get on with my life. Like, hey, doing this thing. Cool. Thanks. So, Conan, right. you got some final thoughts? On Facebook? Yeah. It's, I don't think it's so great. I think it might be bad. <laughs> <laughs> I heard uh, Cheryl Sandberg thought that, you know, if women were in charge of every country, there would be no more wars. So I think Facebook might be having a productive effect on society. More female war criminals. More female Facebooks. <laughs> female work. That's what we call it. <laughs> it'd be a. It'd be. It'd be It'd be Facebook, but with like the Y, where it's like women instead. But like they'll put a Y in there as a vowel. Anyway, <laughs> it'd be Facebook, but instead of asking uh, like how are you doing or whatever, they'd be like, 
No, really. How are you doing? I really want to know. Yeah. <laughs> How do you really feel about this post? <laughs> we won't tell anyone. And then they post it publicly. <laughs> so One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm, I was reminded of that, uh, talking about it for the show and preparing for it. You know, it's amazing to me how of its time that it is, not just in the way that mental health is treated, but, uh, you know, the, the casual misogyny of, of our hero, uh, McMurphy. Uh, but the the back and forth with him and, and Nurse Ratched is, uh, would be stellar no matter what the rest of the story was. But this is really an ensemble piece. Everybody does a fantastic job, uh, fully realized characters. And as... Mentioned by one of the letterbox reviews, like, uh, you know, like quite the turnaround at the end. Uh, and uh, it, it makes for a very compelling story. And I think that it's uh, it's a movie that still holds up. And I get it when people are like hard out because like, hey, man, that guy's a statutory rapist. I'm not going to get behind him. Like, well, you don't have to like someone wholesale and everything they are to understand that this is a work of fiction and you can enjoy it based on that. Uh, and it is, as long as you are able to turn that part of, of you know your your brain that I have to immediately identify with the person that's on the screen wholesale as like you know a uh, a figure to be emulated. Then this is a great story because nobody's perfect in this story. But people are in this situation for a variety of reasons. Some um, unfairly, some potentially fairly, with unjust things done to them, and it doesn't really have any objective morality to it. You're just presented with all the, the facts at hand and the actions that come from the facts. And I've seen this movie a lot. And I think it's really good. Obviously, the Academy agreed. Uh, and I think it, it launched a lot of careers in a lot of ways and also took careers that were like, you know, people that were known for being good character acting and brought them to a greater audience and uh, in some cases, typecast them. Uh, but this movie's great. And, and I, I stand by it. I, I, I will say, though, that the, the fact that he is in there for statutory rape does bring in the, uh, the, the, the you know, antisocial personality disorder aspect of it, which yeah. is that, you know, it's someone who's unable to follow the rules that society sets out in front of you. And obviously it's in a, a very, you know, dark way, but it does set out that thing that, like, you know, whether or not he was, you know, he's been arrested for assault five times. And you know what I mean? Like, and then he has the, the amazing line where he's like, well, you know, uh, I forgot which boxer he mentions during that, but he's like, you know, he has 40 fights under his belt and no one's arrested him once. It's this idea that, you know, what you do doesn't really matter with like outside yeah. of that context. And you're unable to follow the rules of society, but these rules don't apply throughout society, right? Like he could have been a boxer and also committed statutory rape and maybe people would have covered it up. No, but um, like McMurphy would definitely have a YouTube show and be among the echelons of like you know the uh, Ben Shapiro's and Jordan Petersons of the world, unfortunately. And I think, yeah, I, I and think, I can uh, Tim Pool's trying to cosplay as him. <laughs> I'm working on getting some cosplays done myself. But uh, Andy, you got some final thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I think that uh, Christina should have uh, cosplayed uh, Nurse Ratchet because she has epic hair. Uh, yeah. But okay. I said I dressed up as what I wore when I was in the institution, but whatever. No, no, I wore. Typical Andy criticizing women. He always does. Yep. That's, it. That's all I'm doing. Um, hey, well, no, anti feminist Andy. Wait a minute. If you <laughs> a promising young woman. Oh, 
Yeah, that, that that's a good film. I like that movie. Yeah, that we gotta do that one because I'm getting that cosplay, the little sexy stripper nurse cosplay. Robbed at the Oscars, by the way. Robbed. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, Andy, is that is that you want to have? No, more I was that? actually gonna uh, just really quickly. No, she just really time. wanted to comment on Christina's hair. That's it. No. Yeah. yeah, I, I just figured since we were, you know, yeah, whatever. Anyways, I'm not gonna explain the joke. Um, when I was in high school, I actually was, first saw this film as part of a class. So I had this like broken down into 45 minute chunks um, to, to, to watch this movie. Radically um, different 45 minute chunks. But... Yes. Oh, yeah. man, that last day of class that, was weird. I was going to say that last episode must have been bizarre. Um, like, is this the same movie? No. Yeah. No way. But, but uh, it, it's, um, you know, certainly, and it's weird to watch it in high school too. Like, like who shows this movie in high school? Um we also watched. Um, it was me. I chose that. <laughs> we also watched both versions of Cape Fear. So you know, Ooh. Um, this is some class. Yeah, it was a wild class. That, that uh, was good. Sounds like my experience on give them an argument. <laughs> I, I had to draw that shit for him. Anyways, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so um, uh, it, it it was actually kind of nice, kind of revisiting it because. Honestly, this is not a movie you really want to go back and rewatch too often. Um, I might have seen it once or twice between uh, you know high school and now, uh, but I don't legit. Sometimes I just put on movies and just have them on in the background. So you know, uh, I, I don't know if I've seen it uh, really since or actually really watched it. So it was actually kind of nice revisiting this, even though I remembered every single beat at the end. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this was. Uh, yeah, it's much harder to it's much harder to watch when you like know what's coming at the end. Yeah, like, watching it for the first time, it's like, all right, this is like a, you know, this is this is kind of fun. And then knowing what happens at the end, you're like, oh fuck, this is all leading up to something that I don't want to see. Yeah, yeah, it is just. I did not think it would end like that. <laughs> well, I, I knew it was going to end like some like something had to happen to make Murphy at the end of the film. I just yeah. didn't know what it was. Um, and then when we got there, it was just like, whoa. Well, the bill has to come due, right? Like, it's, it's you know, it's a whole movie of uh, fuck around and find out, I guess. Yes, and Ratchet never <laughs> got in trouble for killing Billy. Yeah. Which she did. Um, all right, well, my I, I, I have some final thoughts, and I've written them down. Let me... How about it, you freaks, lunatics, mental defectives? Let's hear it for Movie Night Extravaganza. Back in action. Back in action.